Hey everyone, it's Dan. Welcome to episode 86 of Adventures Who Portraying the Short-Lived TV Show Podcast. We're going to dive right in this time. I ain't going to goof around. It, I want to get to the stuff, and this episode is is is. Yeah, let's go. Let's let's do it. We begin with a brand new old show, which was uh, sort of signposts by the uh, minisode that came out a couple weeks ago. My friend Tim Turner and I, hooray, Tim, will be discussing 1981's Rex Stout's Nero Wolf with William Conrad and Lee Horsley. We're talking episode one, The Golden Spider. And then I will be talking episode five of Shadow Chasers from December 85. Ding, 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 yeah. Parts Unknown. Shadow Chasers. No, that's not the way it goes. But episode five, Shadow Chasers, Parts Unknown. And then we'll be going 25 years into the past for uh, June 1960. Mitchell Hadley, the great Mitchell Hadley and myself discussing Wagon Show, the 36th episode of bourbon street beat i want us to leap into that right now so let us take just let's let's do we'll do a countdown from three three two how, how are you all doing by the way i hope you're safe and well three two i know it gets a little tough at times but we're i think we're all going to get through this was i counting from four where, where was i going four but no i'm sorry i was going from th- here's what i'll do i'll go from three but then i'll no Three, two, what? Listen. Hello everyone, welcome to the first of our regular discussions of the 1981 TV series Nero Wolf, or Rex Stout's Nero Wolf, starring William Conrad and Lee Horsley. Uh, this show began on January 16th, 1981. You may have heard the mini-sode, myself and my friend Tim Turner discussing The Doorbell Rang, a TV movie from late 70s, with uh, Thayer David as uh, Wolf. By this point, uh, Thayer David had passed on, so William Conrad is in charge here. But this first episode is The Golden Spiders, based on the novel, The Golden Spiders, a Rex Stout novel from 53, directed by Michael O'Herlihy, teleplayed by Wallace Ware, Peter Nasco, original air date, as I said, January 16th, 1981. Let me give you just a brief breakdown. It was based on a novel, so there's a lot going on. I'm going to keep it very simple so we can get to Tim and myself chatting. So in this one, uh, Wolf is uh, sitting down for a meal, and a uh, kid, uh, like a, a 12, 13-year-old kid um, named uh, Pete Drossos, Drossos shows up, and he's a, he's sort of a window cleaner at street corners, and, you know, he gets tips for cleaning windows, and he sees, uh, he has just seen a woman in the backseat of a car with golden spider earrings, and in this version of Scar in her face, saying more or less, like, help me get the police, and, you know, uh, this tough guy in the front seat, get out of here, kid. So he goes to Wolf and says, hey, I want to hire you to find out who this woman is, and Wolf is semi-amused by it and says, okay, I'll look into it. 
The next day, Pete is out washing windows, and a car hits him, and in this version, puts him into intensive care. This makes Wolf very unhappy, and he begins to investigate. A woman shows up at the house after they have placed an ad in the in the paper um, mentioning the golden spider earrings or something or other, uh, you know, seeing uh, whatever, but. This woman shows up at this house, um, but she's not the woman who was in the car. They they know she's she's a fake, and she goes away. And we learn a little bit later that she gets killed. And they begin to investigate that and find out what's going on. They discover that she was part of this um, association that helps uh, immigrants come into the country. And there may be something sketchy going on, and there may be another murder involved, and there's a lot of stuff happening, and golden spider earrings, and I'm not going to go crazy on it, but things build and build uh, from there. And so I will just... You've heard Tim on the mini so. I'm going to give you a blast on this, and he, here is uh, uh, Tim and myself discussing the golden spiders. <laughs> Here we are, folks. All right. Brand new old show, Rex Stout's Nero Wolf. Uh, you just heard the very basics uh, for the Golden Spiders, which is, as I said, was based on one of uh, Stout's novels. We are going to try not to spoil it. Um, the tricky thing with of um, Rex Stout's novels, this, this one included, and I, I think also I would say the doorbell rang the previous one, is there is a murder in it, but there's also a lot of other stuff going on. So I think we can keep away from giving away who the the murderer is, I think. Suddenly I've forgotten who the murderer is, which is awesome because I won't give it away, but I'm here with someone who might. Tim Turner. Tim, how are you? <laughs> uh, I'm good. How are you? Doing okay. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited to dive in. And I, 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 I think what we're going to do is normally I would say – Tim, what did you think of this episode? But this time we're gonna we're gonna shoot to the end and, and then kind of spin around, kind of go from here to uh, uh, we're gonna do something different. I let let's talk let's talk the um, would you like to lead us talking about the regular cast of Rex Stout's Nero Wolf? Oh, absolutely. Um, first off, uh, Nero Wolf uh, is played by uh, William Conrad, uh, and I, I think. He was made for this role, really. Uh, I know in the novels that he's described as clean-shaven, and he, in this, Conrad has a, a luxurious beard. But I, I think he's got this... There's something about him that just says Nero Wolf to me. And he's uh, he's got the size, of course, but he's he's, oh, he's slouching down in that huge yes. overchair and... Uh, and he's just—he's got just enough of that that Nero Wolf attitude of uh, uh, of arrogance and superiority that uh, you know, but with enough charm thrown in. I think Conrad is is the kind of actor that he's naturally charming, and some of that does kind of squeeze out a little bit. But that's but that's fine. I, you know, whenever you do a TV series. You kind of, especially at this time in like 1981, you, you you didn't have a lot of anti-heroes yet, so you had to make a character, a lead character, likable. And he's he's our master detective who never leaves the brownstone, and his right hand man is Archie Goodwin, uh, played by Matt Houston's Lee Horsley, clean shaven, um, doesn't have that great mustache. And I believe this was his first acting really? role uh, on on television or film. Yeah, 
I looked that up on IMDb. I was like, oh, what else did he do? You know, and I was like, oh, wow, this is his first entry. And I think he's he's pretty good. I, I think he's very natural. He's very loose. And the thing that's great with these two characters is their relationship is, even though Nero is is the boss, uh, it's very 50-50. Uh, Archie Goodwin is not a dummy. He is a smart detective. And you could have had a series based on him, you know, like a Sam Spade or a Philip Marlowe or a Mike Hammer, uh, because he's clearly smart enough to solve something on his own. Um, but he's kind of like the the arms and legs for Nero Wolf who refuses to leave and do anything uh, other than use his brain. And now he runs his house uh, very much almost like a, a regimented military operation where everything is to his liking the way he wants it, uh, and it's all about him. Uh, he has... Fritz, who's his cook, who is a, a brilliant chef, who he tortures mercilessly because he's never satisfied uh, with anything that he makes and drives him up the wall. Uh, and then there's Theodore Hortzman, who's his uh, orchid expert in his greenhouse, who takes care of all of his orchids. I believe, uh, I think in the novel they said he has like 30,000 yeah, orchids. Yeah, and then there's there's other characters that are less frequent, uh, like Saul Panzer, who's kind of a private detective that he farms stuff out to, and um, Inspector Kramer, of course, who's your your uh, stubborn police, you know, operative that they have to deal with, uh, who of course is always like, you know, you stay out of this, <laughs> Nero, you know. Shaking his fist. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, that's pretty much your main cast for this. Uh, other characters from the novels I, I don't really appear, or if they do, I think they're in some other episodes just as kind of like a, a one-off. Uh, this is pretty much what you get. Um, it, I th it, the thing that's interesting with this series is I think uh, the main characters for the most part are really well cast i love conrad i i, I like uh, lee horsley um uh, i really enjoyed uh, george uh, voskovic i believe that's how you pronounce it as fritz yeah and robert coot is wonderful as theodore I, I i love all four of them i i don't know if george weiner as yeah. saul panzer or alan miller as inspector kramer are as as accurate mm -hmm. But, you know, you win some, you lose some, <laughs> yeah, right? With yeah. uh, When you're casting a series, mm. you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I, there, there's something about... I, I just recently started watching uh, Canon, maybe three or four months before we're recording this, mm. and I'm really enjoying William Conrad and Canon, but he moves around a lot in Canon. He jumps around, he falls down, he's car chasing, all kinds of crazy stuff. And I, I've never really seen that much Jake and the Fat Man. And I do enjoy him as Marshall Dillon on the radio version of Gunsmoke. I think he's an excellent uh, Marshall Dillon. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. He's wonderful. Like that. And um, and if you've ever heard any of the like, outtake rehearsal recordings, he's also very funny when he's recording them. Um, oh, well, well, not when he's <laughs> recording them, but you know when they were doing the rehearsals. Um, 
uh, and so I say I do I do I don't I don't yeah I don't mind the beer the beer doesn't uh, bother me, um, although that does bring up uh, the, now this is just this is just a side anecdote this has nothing to do with Nero Wolf but I remember but 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 with the beard I I wonder how many people watching it would have been hey he's not supposed to have a beard what's that about I'm writing to the network Brandon Tartikoff you're in trouble my letter is on the way. Um, <laughs> Because I I remember in um, uh, I think I was in seventh grade I think Christ the King in Irondequoit New York and it was English class and we had to I, we had to pick a, a detective and um, write uh, do like a poster board with like you know they love poster board when I was growing up and having us draw which I hated because I couldn't draw oh yeah um, always drove me up the wall um, but I chose um, Lord Peter Whimsy from the Dorothy L. Sayers books. And oh, wow. um, uh, a gal who I, who I really liked named Alyssa Ganera, she chose Sherlock Holmes. And I forget which Sherlock Holmes she read. I want to say it was probably Hound of the Baskervilles. But she showed up with um, uh, the poster board. She set it down. And she, she was great. She was really, drew really well. And there was like a picture of a guy in the corner with like a mustache. Was, oh, there's Watson. And there's a picture of a guy in another cor- corner with like a full mustache and beard. And I said, now who would that be? Is that is that like Henry Baskerville? Is that, no, that's Sherlock Holmes. I said, what, are you kidding? I said, he doesn't. <laughs> um, I, I said, and I, and I was trying to rack my brain. I'm like, he does, I think he goes in disguise in that, like as a homeless person. or Like, like I think when he follows Watson around. But I right. said, oh, was that his disguise? No, that's Holmes. And I remember the teacher, I think Mrs. Hiller, being like, oh, that's very good, Alyssa. And I was like, Sherlock Holmes doesn't have a beard and a mustache. I'm, I'm, I'm a stupid, like, 12, 13-year-old, and I know that. What, 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 what I mean... That sounds more like Doctor yeah, Mortimer. And, oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I was like, um, and I, I said, "Well, didn't like what edition did you read? I mean, like almost every one has like a drawing of Holmes on it." Oh well, I don't. I thought he had a beard and a mustache. Where, 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 and why did you think that? <laughs> and after a time, I was told to stop pestering her, and um, that's probably why several years later, when we were in high school, she never went out with me. But I still stand by Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> no. With the beard, the mustache, Wolf, I don't mind. Um, to me, I mean, to me, one of the things about Wolf is he's supposed to be very meticulous in his sort of grooming, and you know, he he wears a yellow, two yellow shirts every day, mm. and um, he's you know, very meticulous. But I like the fact that he, William Conrad's Wolf is very meticulous, but sort of like letting the beard, mustache grow out is like his like, eh, I don't want to shave kind of thing just let it grow out kind of just the one spot where he kind of yeah and you're right like <laughs> that chair they put him in it's like it's it's like um it's it's like it's it's my first thought was that chair mr burns had when he had a chair in that college do you, i forget which episode of the simpsons that was i have a chair yes. at the local college and you yes. see this enormous crazy chair well imagine that but without the craziness just this enormous <laughs> chair and like when william conrad looks like he's you know, like a little kid. You know, like Lily Lily Tomlin when she would sit in the huge chair and she would swing her legs. That's almost how William Conrad looks yes. in his chair. He looks really tiny in it. As the episode goes on, he sinks yes. farther and farther yes. and farther down yeah. in the chair. And he's crossing, yeah. you know, his fingers, yeah. you know, and he's just getting lower and lower. I'm like, is it going to get to a point where, like, you look at over the desk, you just see, like, the top of his head, his eyes or something? <laughs> uh, 
So I, I do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think William Conrad's good. Now, now, you know, as you, as you mentioned, he, um, I think they do go out of there. It, it's tricky with Thayer David. We were talking about in the, in the minisode. His just his natural demeanor, I, I think, is sort of like you take a step back from him, just because of his voice and and you know, I'm sure there were plenty of people who loved him dearly, and he was probably a real sweet guy. But just his natural demeanor, you know, you take a step back for a second. Whereas William Conrad. <laughs> Is is more is smoother like Maury Chaikin was when he was doing now he now he doesn't mm-hmm. do one of the things with Maury Chaikin's Wolf that's so great are the faces that Maury Chaikin's there there's um uh, there's one there's one yes. called Prisoner's Base where like a young heiress is killed and Wolf has uh, Archie call like all the people on like the head of the board of this company that she was supposed to inherit into his office. And he basically spends the evening with him saying, like, tell me who you are. Tell me how you knew her. Tell me, you know, like, um, what you thought. You, you know, just just talk to me. And you can see by the end of it, he just wants to die. He's just looking at him like, oh, my God. And just the look on his face. <laughs> and James Tolkien is in it playing a very – because the, the joy of um, – and we mentioned this previously, but the joy of if you ever watch the A&E Mysteries, uh, Nero Wolf, is that um, they had an ensemble mm-hmm. cast – so apart from I think like one episode, the Mother Hunt, where they had like like Carrie Fisher was in it and Griffin Dunn, all the others, it's the same cast members uh, over and over. So it's a lovely ensemble. And James, the great James Tolkien, who you might know as Dallas from Cobra, the best Michael Dudikoff show of all time, um, uh, he pl- he plays he has <laughs> in the scene he plays a really really old guy who talks about, like, um, and I wanted to kill her when she was 12 because I was supposed to get part of this company, and I didn't, and I knew that she was going to get it when she reached a certain age. And then I thought, I won't kill her, I'll kill myself, but I didn't do either of those things. And then he sits down, and Wolf is just looking at him, just says, well, maybe it would have been better if you had killed yourself. And James Token character shrugs. And it's just, it's just the William Conrad doesn't quite have these moments, but he's much closer to them than um, than uh, uh, Thayer David's character was. Um, you think you could have a? I think Thayer David's was more abrasive, whereas William Conrad is the way I sort of more more see Wolf is that he's Wolf is abrasive if you're interfering with his routine, but he has certain times he will talk to you, right? But he gets bored really quick so make it make it fast but William Conrad just as you'd expect he seems a little nicer he seems <laughs> a little more charming um and and yeah Lee, Lee Horsey I I, I I I I haven't warmed to him as much as I have previous Archies um but I'm sure I will I'm sure I, well there's there's something maybe about like the 1980s Archie that doesn't that strikes me as strange. Archie to me seems like he should be a really well dressed gentleman from like the 40s or 50s, and a really well dressed gentleman from like 1981 <laughs> kind of pales in comparison to to those time periods. Oh, and, and so well, I guess I guess what did what did you think of the episode? Just it's just 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 in general. Well, like I said, I've seen all 14 of these, and I saw them when they first aired. Um, I actually thought this episode was a, a, a fairly good uh, debut story. Uh, I, I think that they, they picked one that was pretty interesting. Um, I will say there's something we discussed when we talked about the Thayer David film uh, about how there's some some real odd anachronisms in there. Uh, the kid, 
who uh, starts this mystery when he gets run over by the car. Um, he's like uh, from uh, from he's like a dead end. Yes, kid. exactly. Yeah, you know, in 1981. Yeah. I need to see Nero yeah. Wolf. You know, he's got this uh, this accent. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh god. <laughs> you know, he, he's dressed like a newsie. Uh, you know, wiping yes. windshields. You know, it, it just I, I almost expected him. You know, like you know, like you want to pay yeah. us? <laughs> yeah. You know, he it, it's a very odd. Yes. <laughs> but um, I, I did really enjoy this. Um, I will say, um, like I said, I, that I think. Alan Miller, I don't know if he's necessarily the best choice for Inspector mm-hmm. Kramer, but I will say there's one running gag in this that I absolutely oh, I love I <laughs> with him. Whenever he's, yeah, whenever he's in Nero Wolf's office, he sits there. You know, he's got that kind of he's he's an actor who always seems he plays like kind of persnickety, mm-hmm. stick in the butt <laughs> kind of characters, and he does the same here. And every time he stands up, he sticks his hands out and he lifts himself up with his legs, and and looks at looks at Wolf and he walks <laughs> out and it, you know Wolf's like, did you see it? Did you yeah. see what he did? He does it on purpose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I really think that Miller pulls that off the way he does it. He gives that 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 stare mm-hmm. when he does it, and it's yes. hilarious. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think I think I, I agree with you there. I mean, I, I, he's not. Uh, I, I mean, I, I I don't I don't know the actor's name, but the 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 A and E version that Inspector Kramer to me is Inspector Kramer. Um, with the cigar that he always has, because that's one of the things in the book is mm-hmm. that Inspector Kramer always has a cigar in his mouth, but he never smokes it. And he's always getting exasper- so exasperated at Wolf, but he also knows Wolf's a pretty smart guy. And the thing with Inspector Kramer that's interesting, and I don't know if this will come up in this series, because I, I've i only watched this one. So I, I, um, I, I didn't see the series when it originally aired because it aired against the Dukes of Hazard, And I was like eight or nine and a stupid kid. And, <laughs> and so... Um, yeah. Uh, and... Um, and as much as I love Lee Horsley, I think um, you know Daisy Duke, uh, you know, would have won me over uh, more so than Lee at this point because he didn't have his mustache. Come well, that on, makes Lee. sense. Uh, I, for, I forget what sure. I was saying. Oh yeah, the the thing the thing I love about uh, Inspector Kramer's Inspector Kramer's is he's one of those those sort of head inspector guys who's always yelling, you know, um, always Auto Man. Uh, the main character, the the inspector, Auto Man is always yelling. I mean, the best example, although it's a joke, is probably it's, it's Trunk from Sledgehammer. Hammer, and he's he he's oh, yeah. probably the best example oh, yeah. <laughs> of that kind of character. The the, the I want your shield. The, the, the cool thing about Kramer, though, <laughs> is that um, uh, there there is in one of the books, I forget which one. Um, where Archie, I think, is talking to Inspector Kramer, and something along some, a line comes up along the lines of, "How'd you become an inspector?" And he says, "Well, you know, uh, one day um, I arrested a man, um, a very dangerous man, because I thought he was guilty of, of a crime, and it turns out I was right." And that's that's his story for how he became a spider. I think it's just a lovely story where it's like you know I'm I'm not an idiot. I I know, I know what I'm doing. It's just you're you know you're you're very good, Archie, and and Wolf's a genius. You know, it's like Lestrade. Lestrade isn't going to get anywhere in the Sherlock Holmes stories 
because he's going up against Sherlock Holmes. But Lestrade is, isn't going to mention it, whereas Kramer knows that 80% of the time, Wolf's ahead of him. So he kind of is angry, but he also is like, hey, I know you can help. And and if, if, they're, if, they're, if their paths coincide, they, can, they occasionally help one another. Um, and, and, um, I think, I think I agree with you that this is a good, uh, this is a good opener, um, where, where, now I will say this, this one, like you mentioned, sort of delineates the, the rules of the house a little bit better than the doorbell rang movie. I will, I, I do question though, why neither of them really seem to show off the layout of the brownstone. Uh, because in in again, and I keep bringing it up because this is one I've watched the the most, and I've only watched one episode of this one. So, but in, in the Nero Wolf mysteries <laughs> with Maury Chaikin and, and Tim uh, uh, Tim Hunt, you you very clearly like in in the first episode you see the huge hallway and you see the huge dining room and the big kitchen and you see the huge space where the office is, and they actually do something. I saw in the back of a Nero Wolf book Rex Stout's diagram of Nero Wolf's office, and I believe in the diagram there's only one door. And I think, forgive me if I'm wrong, I think mm. in this one, the William Conrad one, and the Thayer David one, in the office there's only one door that everyone goes in and out of. I, I think so. I definitely in the Thayer David, but I, I'll have to I'll have to double check on that. But but what they did in the A and E one is they put in two doors. There's one, well, three doors technically because there's the, the front room where they have people sit and then they bring them in. But there are two doors from the hallway. There's one right near the front door and then the one that Wolf goes in and out of. So he's able to, because um, uh, like in, I, th I think it'll be, yeah, it'll, it, it, I think it is one door in this because like when Wolf comes in the office, he has to like kind of go by everyone. Whereas they built it in the A&E one, when Wolf comes in the office, no one's near him. He goes directly to his desk and sits down, and when he's done, if he wants to leave, he stands up and goes directly out the door. Which I think is kind of a nicer layout, but technically not what I think Rex Stout originally had in mind. Um, but, I, but I do think they could sort of give us more of the space where they're in. Um, I know they... they yeah, I agree with that. I, I know they probably... They, they, they were... I, I don't want to say they were basic sets because I know I've I've seen like a making of of the A, a and E one and they built like all the huge, basically like that hallway and the dining room and the, and the huge office. They that was all one big thing on a soundstage. Here I'm sure it was the dining room was over here, the 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 office was on the other side, the kitchen. So there's no way to get a continuity really between them. But they could have tried. There's a bit of it's a bit too claustrophobic, and I think with the brownstone you need the space around you. I mean, like at 221 Baker Street, when Holmes is sitting there smoking and shooting at the wall, you got to have a claustrophobic feel. So Watts can come in and throw open a window and wish that a case would show up. But here, I can't imagine Wolf sitting in like the confined space. I, I, I see him with a lot of space around him because, I don't know, that's just the way I see him. Um, uh, I, I understand what you're saying, and I do agree it is a little claustrophobic. Uh, I do think that the, the sets are well-dressed, yes. though. I, I think it really does have, have – it feels to me like his brownstone, although it does feel a little cramped, mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know if that's just the budget, yeah. uh, although it does seem like a fairly lavish budget mm -hmm. to me, but – 
Yeah, I, and I see what you're saying. And I, I will say my the the only um the only I think drawback with the episode and this again I, I mentioned this with doorbell rang and I don't know I don't know if this would be a drawback for someone watching it who didn't have any knowledge of it but I've read the Golden Spiders and I've seen another adaptation of it and you know it's a full novel and they sort of cut several narrative corners and add extra like the assassin angle in this episode isn't mm-hmm. in the novel um the little kid spoiler dies right in the beginning he dies in the novel right um, whereas in here he kind of clings yep. to life the whole time and um uh and so so there there are a few moments that they add in that kind of take away from a few moments when they could have clarified a thing or two um and again, I said this about the doorbell rang, but but I think the the biggest moment here, and it's not it's not terrible, but it's just a little tricky because to me, Saul Panzer is if if Archie wasn't there, Saul would be. Uh, that's that's always my thought on it because mm-hmm. whenever um, Nero or Wolf needs more assistance, he Saul is the priciest and also the first one he goes to. And Saul always seems to be able to get Saul. I think is sort of um, kind of smaller. I was sort of smaller, but a tough guy. Whereas, if if you're familiar with is, uh, yeah, George Weiner, not, not so much. Not so much. And when they introduced him as Saul, I thought, wait a minute, that guy? It's Saul. Wait a minute, that doesn't seem to make sense. And um, I can't tell from this episode um, because the sequence with him is sort of strangely. I don't know if it was just written oddly or it's edited weirdly, but it's it's basically Saul is going to go and I'm not going to go too deep into it. But I mentioned in in the breakdown the um, uh, the ADP, the Association of Displaced Persons, was that it? I, I believe. And yeah. uh, so they're trying to figure out what they have to do with these deaths. And so Saul is going to go undercover and pretend like he has a relative who's maybe not very nice who has to get in the country. And in in the novel, it's basically Saul sort of sets it up and he gets a motel room and he, he goes talks to Archie, keeping him Archie posted. He goes to the ADP. He sits there looking very sort of browbeaten, crestfallen, like, what am I going to do? He talks to the main lady. She says, okay, go back to your motel room and wait to hear from us. And then shifty guys show up and then shifty guys take him from there. And then he gets called out on who he is. And then he almost gets in trouble and Archie shows up and this, that, and the other. But in this episode, it's like, we're going to get Saul Panzer to do this. And I think maybe you see him briefly. And then you see him like sitting in a diner with some random guy saying, yeah, we can help you. Just, yeah, we're going to need a bunch of money. Yeah. Come with us. And then suddenly Saul's like in a parking garage somewhere. And they're like, who are you? I'm Saul Panzer. And then there's a shootout and the cops come. It's like, what, what, what happened there? I'm, I'm they, they, they've left out sort of the, the, <laughs> it, it's, it's a, it's a weird sequence because again, as I mentioned with doorbell rang with some of the bits in there where I know what's happening, but it, it's, they, they cut out, they make Saul look like a bit of a dope because he kind of, he's in one scene and he's in one scene. He convinces them then immediately they're like, who are you? I'm Saul Panzer. And I, you know, it's, it's a bit weird. And I, I don't know why, like they added the assassin angle, but cut out, you know why that scene should make more sense, but it's not terrible, and I don't know. Well, the thing, 
the thing with George Weiner uh, as Saul Panzer, uh, he plays it at least. I don't remember because I haven't watched all the other episodes recently. I, I think in the next one, I, I, uh, Death on the Doorstep, I, I think he, he they kind of tone him down a little bit. But in this one, he's he's almost like this sweaty, bumbling, yes. like Jerry Lewis level. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, oh, that's all, you know, and, and, you know, when they're threatening with the gun, he's like, they even use it in the mm-hmm. credits when they say, you know, George Weiner as Saul Panzer, and they do the free frame of him, like, hey, yeah. you know, with yeah. the face, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's like, oh, oh, no, no, yeah, no, no, because no. You... <laughs> but they do tone yeah, him okay. down, I think, in well, the later okay. ones, because because you have to remember that his, yeah, like I said, his character is supposed to be like. Um, if if Archie's his second hand man, is that right? Third third hand man, I guess, would be Saul out there in the field. But the moment you see him, you're like, hey, it's like, well, don't touch with the owl. <laughs> you know, it's 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 a little it's a little weird, and it's one of those things where I wonder if like it was just like it almost feels to me like it was maybe written a little longer, and then when they went in and edited it, and I don't know, did you see the name of the person who edited this episode? Uh, no. I did, no. and the name of the person is Quinny Martin Jr. Now, I, uh, I, Q, Q, Q-U-I-N-N-I-E oh, Martin boy. Jr. I was like, are you kidding? Um, oh, uh, but, but, Qu- yeah, Quinny did a little something weird with, yeah. And so I, I think overall it works. There, there are a few moments, like I said, oh. I don't think that the Saul sequence is, is, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it just edited a little strangely, and there are, there are weird moments like um, some out of out of out of place like wolf moments where the lady who shows up with the spiders and the scar on her face, um, uh, Archie brings her up to the plant room. You don't do that. You you go up to Wolf first and you tell him what's going on, and generally he's gonna tell her to sit there until he's done. But he brings her, and Wolf is perfectly fine to talk to her, which isn't really the way Wolf works because, like, his favorite times are meal times and orchid times, and you don't get in the way of those. Um, and there is a weird thing too, and th- then I'll stop because overall, like, I, I think I think I agree with you. I think it's a good it's a good opener to it, and I think the main guys are are strong enough and interesting enough to make you want to tune in next time. But th- there is. Uh, just, just and, and I'll stop. There's the weird thing with the scar on the face of the woman with the because in the in the book she just has this it, the earrings and that's enough that she has these golden spider earrings. But in this they add like a scar on her face. So in the novel, Wolf has made her wait a bit. He comes down from the orchid room. He talks to her for about thirty seconds and is like, "You're lying. You're not the you're not the right person." Whereas in this, she goes up to the orchid room. And both her and Ar- both he and Archie are like looking at her and going, "How old's that scar? Oh, that's just from this morning, you know." And it's it's like this weird thing where it's like they instead of Wolf, in Wolf mm-hmm. instead of Wolf sort of instinctually knowing that she's not the one, they decided that they had to give her like a fake, like affectation, like a fake the fake scar to to make them decide rather than him going. And I think in the book more or less he just says, "No, it's not you." Knock it off! You're wasting my time. Go go go. Whereas whereas in here it's like, what do you think of that scar? Yeah, I, I think they made it a little ham-handed a little there. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, and two, it could have been one of those things. And and then and then I'll stop, and we'll just go over anything we got. Uh, 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 
Anything we got? I'm trying to finish my sentence. Anything we got? I'm looking up at Nero and I'm becoming tongue-tied because he's so erudite. <laughs> um, anything we got for the rest of the episode? Um, but but yeah, it's it's. Um, and now I forgot what I was going to say. Okay, well, Tim, what do you got for the rest? <laughs> what else do you have for this? I have to say, I, seeing as I hadn't seen this probably uh, like 38 years <laughs> since I last watched it, um, uh, the one thing I, di- I didn't remember was Catherine Justice being in this. And I absolutely fell in love with Catherine Justice way, way back in Prescription Murder. Oh, sure. In 1968. And and she's still absolutely stunning in this. She's so, so beautiful. And I really really like George Voskovic in this as Fritz. And he does this throughout the series. He's really good at at getting very indignant and... and, and, uh, you know, irritated with with Nero, getting you know picky about his meal and everything, and, and that's wonderful. Um, the one thing I would ask you, and I'm trying because I know we don't want to give away, uh, you don't want to give away mm-hmm. the ending, the solution here. I don't remember in the novel because, like I said, this is the one novel that I read, but it was it was quite some time ago. Uh, at the end of this, when they the killer is revealed. They do this, oh, yes. what seemed to me, did, are they revealing a gay relationship? Yes. And they do this music like, dun, 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 you know, and it, which is very mm-hmm. odd. Yeah, it's very odd. Well, not just like a dun, 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 kind of like dramatic trip uh-huh. chipmunk thing, but but also it's done, it, the music actually goes up like it's like this horrifying yes. thing. <laughs> It's like, you know, and and so is that what's revealed? What they because they really don't go into it. They just cut to Nero's face like, oh, my God, you know, and is that what they're saying? I thought that's what they were saying. I don't I don't think that was in the book, but I do think that's what they were saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because it just felt very, very strange. I I, I think I think sort of the the rest of the sort of motive I, I, I'm gonna. I, I'll, I'll just say the, the rest of the motive for the killer. I think in the book was enough. For some reason, like with the scar, they thought they had to throw in a little something extra. Dun dun dun. That I just thought that was very odd, especially since the way they did it was almost like it was like this horrible mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sort of it builds to the um, this reveal that you don't. It's like, what? Where'd that, huh? Okay, well, there you go. And and I'm not going to say anymore because I'll give it away because I know me. I get to talking. And, uh, you know, I, now having having said <laughs> that, I still can't remember what I was going to say like two minutes ago. And it was so good. Oh, it was so good. Oh, it was something to do with the scar. I'll figure it out later. I'll edit it in. You won't even hear me saying this unless I forget to edit it out. I Now, I've, <laughs> I've got one more. Do you have anything else on this one? I have just one more thing. And that is... Uh, the music in it is is fine. It's it's pretty standard sort of detective show, um, '80s kind of thing. You don't, almost you could you could tr- transpose some of it over <laughs> to like Murder <laughs> She Wrote or something like that. But there is a moment in the mm. end where Wolf is going up the elevator where, and I, I I'm not going to be able to hum the theme for you. Um, but there there is a little bit of musical 
motif that plays that reminds me of a bit of music from Christmas Eve on Sesame Street. Now, I don't know if you've seen that, but the moment it played and Wolf is going up in the elevator, I was like, gosh, I wish I was watching Christmas Eve on Sesame Street. Now, if you know it and you hear it, you might know what I'm talking about. I could be crazy, but the moment that bit of music played, that's the first thing that came to my mind. So I'm just going to leave it there. Leave it there. I still can't remember. What... <laughs> the funny thing about it is that I forgot that I was going to say that the theme song for the show, it sounds like a Looney Tunes cartoon. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Yeah. It's very bizarre. It starts like, you know, you're like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> I don't it's know. It, it almost does have the feel of like, um, they didn't have someone write a theme. They just had, like, do you have any themes sitting around? Um, how about this one? Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Can you noodle on the keyboard <laughs> yeah, here? Could, da, 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 da. yeah, you're right. No, it does have that sort of. Uh, okay. So um, I still can't remember. It was a good point, too. So I'm just going to leave it there. And I'm going to say, Tim, where can we find you online? Uh, well, you can find me on uh, my podcast, Beauty, the Beast, and the Bees, where my, me and my co-host, Kelly Hogaboom uh, discuss mostly B films, uh, genre cinema, and uh, we have our website bbnbs.net. Uh, we're on. We have a Facebook page, Twitter, uh, Instagram, where you can see what we're talking about, uh, what we're doing. Um, and uh, Kelly is is wonderful. I, I I'd love for you to meet her someday because she is just a, a fountain of knowledge, especially if it's about uh, anything about giant oh, monster movies yeah. or anything to do with uh, uh, Bigfoot. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> yes, one day, one day. Yeah, I've enjoyed what I've heard of your show. I quite like. I like it very much. Thank you. So oh, that you, is sir. the Golden Spiders. Yeah, we were starting near Wolf. We got thirteen uh, more episodes here, and like, like, and, and like I mentioned, this is uh, like Bourbon Street Beat. This is a show I hadn't watched an episode of. So, so we're 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 in this journey together, folks. Except for Tim, who has seen it already and is in a different journey. But we still, we all love, we all love, and we get along. It's going to be great. So, um, let me uh, let's all take a breather. And listen to a little bit of music and go on to the next segment, which is this. Shadow Chasers, Parts Unknown, Episode 5, aired December 12, 1985. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy Hanukkah. And I hope you had a great Kwanzaa and all those great things and those wonderful things that happened around there. Written by Linda Campanelli and M.M. Shelley Moore. I don't know what the M and M stand for, but that's awesome that you have to get three names into her forename name before she will let you enjoy one of her names they were those two they they wrote for beauty and the beast they wrote for dark shadows they did soap opera stuff they wrote an episode of misfits of science together so they were sort of in a fantasy fun world at this time so i i i'll be honest i'd never heard of them until this uh, episode but um but i watched this episode three or four times before so so it wasn't like i, I had not encountered their work before and this is directed by Bob Sweeney. 
Bob Sweeney was a director. Oh my goodness, he directed 80 episodes of Andy Griffith's show. He'd been directing since around 1960 at this point. That girl, Accidental Family, Doris Day, of course, Betty's father. 17 episodes of Hogan's Heroes, 5 episodes of Hawaii 5 0, La Flamingo Road in 1981. Jeez, lots of stuff. Oh, some Love Boats, Private Benjamin, Dynasty, oh, wow, Dukes of Hazard. Uh, he did uh, a misfits aside some, some trap. He did return to Mayberry. Hey, get out of here! Wow. Um, huh. He did a lot of stuff, and he did three episodes of Shadow Chasers or two episodes of Shadow Chasers. Um, this is his first one. He does. Oh yes, he will do one. Oh, desperately seeking Dory from Sledgehammer. He did MacGyver. It's a living. Wow, it's a living magical world. The Disney shit. The Brady's. He did one of the Brady's. He did a lot of stuff. So 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 this episode is parts unknown. And it begins with a uh, sequence with two guys who, I'm not sure what they're meant to be. Uh, they, if they're meant to be teens, they're, they're teens in their mid-twenties. And they sneak into a graveyard and they see someone digging up, a, two guys digging up a grave. But the person in the grave is still alive. And there's craziness and chaos. And then the next day at the uh, site, as they're digging up the, the, um, the coffin, which the two guys are like, there's going to be no one in there. There's going to be no one in there. There is someone in there. The per the uh, you know the person is in there, and um, of course Jonathan and Benedict are there, and they have a chat with the I guess the coroner, who is uh, who is there also obviously. He's not going to be in there. After all we went through to get the court order for this, you better be right. What a waste of time! He's dead. Hold on, Jack. We got a live one here. What? Well. He's obviously belly up, but look at the bluish tint to his skin, and, and look at the lining on the coffin. This is where he caught it, trying to get out. What do you make of this, Doc? I'm not sure. Well, I am. Edwards was obviously buried alive. Oh, excuse my friend, Doctor, but what do you think happened? Well, the body's still warm. Judging by the state of rigor, he must have died sometime early this morning, maybe 3, 4 a.m. Okay, you guys saw him went around like midnight. Yeah, we just got back from the late show. I saw him, and then I got oh, kind of we were both there, and he yeah, got on the coffee. Yeah, oh, 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 Let's go. Let's go. What are you kidding? This is a big story. Look, you made a mistake. That's fine. You're human. Barely. But there's nothing paranormal here. Just a tragic case of medical incompetence. Well, how can you just walk away? Watch me. Jonathan doesn't seem terribly interested because the guy uh, apparently may have just been buried alive. And there is a bit later on where he, he may have not been embalmed. Uh, Jonathan doesn't seem particularly interested because it's midterms time. And it is, I guess this episode aired in... in um, well, we didn't call them midterms uh, in December. Uh, did we have midterms when we were in college? We just had, like, you know, we started school at the start of September, and then we ended it in mid-December, and those were just finals. But but he's saying midterms, and it certainly doesn't look like wintertime if they're in Georgetown. And, and the bulk of this, the, the graveyard they're at, it takes place in Long Island. So if this is wintertime, this ain't. Winter time, winter time. Um, this is probably what you might call midterms, I guess. Where I don't even know. So, but it ain't winter time. Stop, damn. So, uh, um, 
Benedict begins to investigate and meets up with the wife of the guy who was buried alive. Um, she's played by Teresa uh, Ganzel, who you uh, you'll you'll know her if you see her. She's very she's blonde. She's very perky. She's lots of fun. She was on um the uh, the Tonight Show for ages, and you'll know her when you see her and stuff. She's got a very sort of specific look and 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 feel to her and she's lots of fun and she is the the uh wife of the guy who died and talking about how the fact that they used to go to this place called the fitness factory a lot and he spent so much time there so benny begins to investigate it and he goes there and they put him through sort of a regimen of tests and they give him a massage and they make him uh engage in like some breathalyzer type test with this big hunky guy Benedict is is convinced that something is going on there. It has something to do with the fact that this guy was buried alive. Jonathan, however, at his office in Georgetown, is not interested and sends Benedict away. Unfortunately, the next day, or, or sometime later, Dr. Morehouse arrives and announces that Benedict is dead. And so the two of them go to his memorial service, and I'll just and it's at a burlesque house. In, in New York City, and I'll just play a little uh, clip of that uh, right here. Why is Benedict having a memorial service in a burlesque house? Benedict here? <laughs> Who was the funeral director, Federico Fellini? Well, I thought he had first day, he flew 50 Aborigine <laughs> warriors to New York. Hey, wait, 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 on top of that, what he did is he put the whole tribe up at the Plaza Hotel, and he said, me the bill, his boss, the editor. <laughs> So, but if I had to pick one particular thing about Benny that I admired most, it would have to be his unpredictability, huh? And that and his nose for a scoop. I always figured that he would go out with a big bang, you know, on the trail of some story that would make headlines coast to coast. Yeah, but he got me again, didn't he? Huh? He died of a heart attack like a million other guys. Knowing him, I'll probably start getting a column in a couple of weeks. The ghostwriter with his byline. <laughs> this is the first funeral service I've ever attended with a two-drink minimum. I'm glad we're laughing. I think Benny would have wanted us to remember him with a smile. You were one of a kind, pal. I'll miss you. I love you. We all... Get a grip on yourself, Penzi. Oh, sorry. Uh, any friend of Benny's is a friend of mine. Excuse me. Don't tell me. You're, uh... uh Jonathan McKenzie, the father of the case. I think I remember. You worked for Benny, didn't you? Uh, something like that. Yeah. Oh. Doesn't really matter anymore. I don't want to go too far into it, but I think you can probably guess that Benedict isn't dead. And I'll talk about where he goes, but Jonathan follows sort of the path of where he went, and he goes to the fitness factor and goes through the same thing that Benedict went through, and he ends up following one of the uh, the folks who works at the fitness factory um, in a car, you know, f following, and and ends up at some sort of uh, factory, and I'm going to play you 
there's a very weird scene which we will talk about uh you you've heard a, a few seconds of this at the beginning of the episode but i'm going to play you about 30 40 seconds of this right now however however inclined i feel um and however much the law will allow uh, i will play you a bit of this so so this music is playing it's 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 playing as jonathan is sneaking around this factory trying to break in listen Look, I had no concept that back in December of 1985, when I was um, spending so many days with the Boy Scouts sitting in, jeez, I think we were in an awful field selling Christmas trees during snowstorms in Rochester, New York. I, I can't be certain of that. But it was the time when I was discovering that Monty Python had, what about, like 10 albums out. Uh, I, I didn't think as I was watching this show that I'd be sitting here, 95, 05, 35 years later, trying to do an in-depth discussion i'm not going to do an in-depth discussion of it i don't think the episode fully warrants an in-depth discussion i think it's a it's a charming episode i think it's, it's a lot of fun it's not as um look the andy griffith show is not shadow chasers shadow chasers is meant to be a suspenseful horror supernatural comedy and someone who 25 years ago directed 25, 20 years ago directed 80 episodes of Andy Griffith's show might not be the best person to direct something like this. And so the episode isn't the sharpest... Okay, okay, I, I stopped myself in the middle of a sentence, but I'll finish that sentence. It's not the sharpest uh, directed episode. It's not the most... It doesn't have the strongest drive uh, to it. That's okay, generally. Um, but Kenneth Johnson, like his his episode, has a strong drive to it. Uh, Cliff Ball, uh, who who I know best um, from the jeez, uh, the vampire episode was a Bad Blood from season five of X Files. Uh, these are sort of drama, uh, action, supernatural horror directors who can do that. This episode ends up feeling a bit tricky. Um, and let's not forget the four-minute-long sequence with the song playing, where Jonathan is creeping around. It's I want to go. I want to go back to and, and I know what you're saying, Dan. Talk about the episode. Don't don't talk about the direction. The direction is the episode sometimes, and in this one, it is. Sometimes you have to forget it. For example, like. Uh, one of my all-time favorite films is The In-Laws. 
I think Arthur Hiller's a boring director. That movie came out around the same time as Nightwing, his bat, killer bat movie. Have you seen Nightwing? Have you stayed awake through Nightwing? The In-Laws is a beautiful film that's directed boring. But the script and the acting and everything else picks it up. This is an interesting one because the, the concept behind it, and I don't know if I'm going to reveal exactly what concept behind it is and i haven't gone through the full sort of plot even well i guess i have um but but you can kind of guess it from the title and i think i think once you think about the title for a moment or so and the fact that well we'll we'll talk about that in a minute I, i keep backing myself up here i think what it is is the i always go to the mid 60s when you had, you know, at the start of the 60s, her first half of the 60s, you had My Three Sons, you had the end of Leave it to Beaver, you had the end of Donna Reed, you had the end of all the, the 50s uh, sitcoms, you had Ozzie and Harriet, you you had Beverly Hillbillies, Petticoat Junction. But then in the mid-60s, you got shows like Get Smart and Batman and Hogan's Heroes. Shows that, like, Hogan's Heroes is... is the, the episodes I've seen recently, they're like the like capers. Each one is like a little caper, sort of great escape as caper. And Batman's are sort of action comedy and Get Smart are spy comedies. And you don't have the same person, well, maybe the guy who directed the first season of My Three Sons, but you don't have the person who directed like Ozzie and Harriet do a Batman because you'll fall asleep. And I think you can see if you go to like an early Get Smart's early... Uh, Batman's early, I, I can't say for Hogan's Heroes, but early Get Smarts, early Batman's, you see a lot of directors who have been directing regular sitcoms now being hired on to direct these and just not quite getting it right. You need to be more exciting when you do stuff. And there are certainly moments in this one that are like that. Some of the scenes in the graveyard at night are like that. Uh, a few of the scenes in sort of the the factory where the not the fitness factory, but the other factory are like that. But um, a lot of it is, especially in the room and in in the um, in the factory where they keep all the where they bring Benedict and they keep all the people who are kind of drugged up and loopy is clearly like a, a sound stage set with three walls, one covered by a red curtain. And you know my thoughts on walls with curtains. This one's different. This. It's it. I will say this. There's a big red curtain, in in the back of this this room. Okay, so let's do this. I'm kind of all over the place this evening. It's been a long day, folks. They bring Benedict, who is apparently dead but isn't dead, to this room in this factory where Jonathan uh, goes to let you heard the song, and they bring him to a room with only one door, and it's a little window on the door, and it's locked. And there are about a half a dozen people there. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four. There are four people there plus Benedict. And, oh, oh, actually, there's red curtain going along two of the walls. Why, I don't know. My first thought was Twin Peaks. There's a moment where Jonathan is hiding behind the red curtain. And Benedict, in the background of the shot, peers into the red curtain. And Jonathan, in the foreground, pops his head out. And I thought of Twin Peaks. I don't know why they put the red curtain there because it's just wall behind it. Normally, when you see a curtain covering an entire wall of a set, that means that it's a wall of a set. I always um, uh, default to, uh, is it Wizard of Gore? 
like one of the bedroom sets in Wizard of Gore, like the back wall is all curtain. And that doesn't happen in rooms of houses. You don't do that in rooms of house. You know, like, like that whole thing is not a friggin' window. You know what I mean? So, but in this, this is the curtains. And I don't think you see the fourth wall. Uh, I don't think. Uh, I could be wrong on that. Um, however... Um, so, so it does feel like a set. I mean, it's nice and creepy, and there's a creepiness to it. I mean, the, the you know the previous episode they were in the middle of nowhere, and they were these huge open spaces and this big mansion. Here, it's this kind of this one room, and it it does it does work, ish. the The tricky thing with the episode is that well, first off, you get that thing where Benedict goes through the exercise stuff gets the massage, does some tests, and then whatever happens to him happens. Then you see Jonathan do the same sort of thing. And Benedict does it great, and Jonathan falls all over the place. But Jonathan looks pretty fit to me. I'm not 100% sure. He ain't like Gil Gerard and Buck Rogers, but he's looking pretty good. So I'm not 100% sure why he, he does so horribly. The thing about this episode that makes it tricky to me is that it is the third... Do you remember when I talked about my Aunt Cindy? And you remember... And Cindy said on Thanksgiving of 1985, does Benedict die in every episode? And I, ha 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 and said, no, 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 he doesn't. This is actually the third episode in a row where it doesn't matter how long we think it happens, but we think Benedict dies. In Amazing Grace, he actually dies and has the out-of-body experience. In the middle of somewhere, Jonathan thinks he's died for a moment, and then Benedict actually thinks he's died for about 10 minutes. And in this one, they actually have a memorial service for him, and there's a dead Benedict in a, in, in a coffin. So this is the third episode in a row where that happens. It's the second episode that involves evil medical people. And... It's one of those things where if the show had gone on for like eight years, ten years, we would have looked at these early episodes when I think this show was still finding its footing. We would have looked at the show and gone, oh, okay, yeah, they, they, like, oh, the X-Files, season one of the X-Files. You look at season one of the X-Files and there are at least four episodes in that season, uh, Born Again, it's it's born again and and uh, the penultimate episode of the season which i forget the name it's a guy's name trevor voltan i forget what it is but there are at least like there's the episode with the thing in the fishbowl and there's the episode where the guy dies or the woman die or the guy dies and um takes over the body of like scully's like partner or something from like school the guy from the guy from the gay guy from um a savage weekend and there's there's at least four episodes in the first season of the x-files which are about people dying and coming back in one way or another to avenge themselves i guess you could include is it shapes the the really early one with like the secretary who's being protected by her boss who who was murdered um and so if you just watch the first season of the x-files you could be forgiven for thinking this is what the show is about but if you go all the way through and you go through the five seasons in the movie and the next four seasons in the movie and the next two seasons then you go back to the beginning you could be surprised when you go hey wow they repeated themselves a lot there they're doing that here in shadow chases which is a bit unfortunate but not not terrible so i think the episode 
It's a decent episode. It's not a terribly exciting episode. It feels longer than it is. It isn't that isn't helped by the let's discuss the four minute long sequence. I wrote it down from about in my copy. The the copy that you hear the sound clips from is actually a minute longer than the copy I have. The the copy I have ends with some great um uh uh sound bites about um uh, oh, Leslie Ann Warren and Michael Douglas are going to be on Good Morning America the next day. I think my copies are from the original recording. And I, th- I know I, I think I've said this previously. Wherever these copies are that, I, that I'm getting the sound bites from, I think are from a later recording. But they're not from the recordings that we'll encounter later on in our discussion. So uh, shut up, Dan. Let's talk about the episode. So from in my, the copy I have from about 27 minutes, 52 seconds in to about 51 minutes, 52 seconds in where I got a plane right here. <clears throat> We're about to hit there. Now, this song plays. What is this song? Do you, do you all know what this song is? You, you heard a bit of the song. I, um, I feel like I should know what it is, but I don't know what it is. And I'm surprised that it doesn't really like have... I mean, it has a bit of a chorus and a bit of a hook, but it doesn't quite. It's more like a mood song for four minutes, and the song plays for the entire four minutes. Basically, Jonathan follows a car with like a, um, a woman from the fitness factory to this factory, um, sort of like a like a nail gun massacre type factory, and you know, at the end of nail gun massacre, but not quite that. And he spends four minutes creeping around this place, following this woman around and trying to. To get in and the whole time it's going the song is playing and it's it's really it's interesting because they play the entire song and the song doesn't seem to fully fit what's going on because the song seems to be supernatural and this is actually like jonathan following someone into a site where he thinks Benedict might, he thinks Benedict might be still alive because Benedict had mentioned that that guy was buried alive which you heard in the earlier thing and he does try to get Benedict exhumed, but it, um, yeah, Benedict ain't there when they dig him up. Oh, and Avery, I forgot to mention Avery Schreiber returns in the memorial service. Who he was the um, he was Benedict's editor in chief at the at the um, at the newspaper, and the the wall feeler old British lady that was flown in from Liverpool for the pilot. She comes back too during the memorial service. The memorial service, yeah, is a lot of fun. So. Da, 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 da. And yeah, it's it's interesting because the whole time Jonathan's creeping, and I, I was trying desperately as I watched this scene to sort of work it out in my mind. Um, if I would have watched this and hearing this entire song play as Jonathan was creeping around, would would that have worked for? Uh, for me what i've been like yeah this is working yeah this is perfect you know like uh, the crazy slap bass when scary things are supposed to happen or what i've just been annoyed by it i find it very distracting now i spend the whole time sitting there trying to listen to the lyrics rather than paying attention to what jonathan's doing you don't really have to pay too much attention because he's just sneaking into this place but it's a really weird choice it's almost like i hate to say it it's almost like it it feels to me like it goes on so long it almost feels to me like they were their episodes running short 
And so they were like, keep all that footage of him sneaking in. Well, why do we need all that footage? Just, you got to keep it in. But they didn't write any music for that. The guy who, who scored it didn't write any music for that. Well, put this song in. Okay, we'll do that. It feels so weird. It feels really weird. Go and, go and watch the sequence. Maybe, maybe it, it won't feel as weird to you as it does to me, but it feels weird to me. So... Yeah, and he gets in, and he, they find out what's going on, and, and Benedict's in this room with these weird people, including, I love it, including a guy who, I forget what his name is, like Kilkowski or something like that. I always say, you know that a guy's going to be big and dumb when he has a Polish last name. Boom. Uh, it, you know, it ain't quite, quite a gr- gross-out uh, Grombowski from... Uh, um, king frat but he he's definitely presented as being a really dumb guy with a polish last name i you know you can you know i think you can still probably get away with stuff like that so it's a weird it's a weird and and the weird thing can i just say the weird thing about that song is that like even when jonathan has sneaked into the the place and is like putting on some scrubs to hide himself the song is still going and it has like a ending to it which is like what and it's it's like a music video that's not a music video you know it's like let's make a music video for it's it's like they 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 made the song for a music video they edited the scene for other music and they just kind of put the two together and it feels weird so so yeah so i i guess i i don't want to talk too much more about about this one um because it's pretty straightforward um uh there there are these people who are doing something at the fitness factory it involves forgive me a massage oil of some sort and they're doing something to these people that they kind of keep in this little room underneath this factory how is the episode it's a little it's it's i wouldn't say bland it's a little slack I think it can. It could have been better directed. Um, it it's not as exciting as it should be. Uh, Benny gives it it all. Jonathan gives it his all. I will say that whenever Jonathan tries to be goofy, uh, remember when he was Colonel Cluck Cluck? It was a little embarrassing. There's a sequence here where he's trying to get Kilkowski to like nah, 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 bust down doors and things. And when he actually starts doing it, it's like it's it's like maybe they should have given you know him some reference to what it was he was doing because it's a little a little off a little embarrassing um but it's not a um it's not a bad episode it just feels like the the episode goes to new territory but the benedict being dead thing and 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 benedict being in one place sort of hospital related while jonathan does all the investigation so feels like we've been there before feels like we've been here before and um and we're only five episodes in now we're still setting up the world so i'm okay with that but um it's it's a weird episode because when i look at the titles when i look at my discs and i look at the titles of the episodes the last four the post network ones i really have only watched like twice over the past 10 years whereas the others i've watched like including this one probably like four times each and this is the one when i always look at them like parts unknown oh yeah that's right it's about this but i only remember that from the title and I kind of forget what the rest of it is about. It ain't the most memorable episode, but it's definitely worth watching. Um, and it has its moments. Um, 
and it becomes an episode sort of of two parts the first part with the investigation and the graveyards and and chatting with the lady and and stuff and the memorial service and then the second part which is all sort of in a couple of tiny rooms and blue hallways so that ain't bad so i'm gonna leave it there i um yeah do do i like parts of gnome yeah do i love it no no um is it better than middle of somewhere you know what it was weird because the middle of somewhere i love the first half but then when it settles into the story i began to lose interest this one i never lost interest but i never thought it was quite as interesting if that makes sense but i'll leave it there the next episode is the many lives of jonathan which I guess aired December 19th, 85, uh, 2021, which would be our episode before Christmas. Unless the show got postponed for a couple months and it didn't air until like early 86. But we'll, we'll get back to that. So um, this was uh, Shadow Chasers episode five, Parts Unknown. And now we are going on, oh my gosh, we are, we are hopping back 25 years in time to Bob Sweeney's first episode of Andy Griffith's show. I'm kidding. We are hopping back to episode 36 of Bourbon Street Beat, Mitchell and myself. Um, I want you to listen to some of this and I will be, I'll be, I'll be right back. Don't be scared. I'll be right back. Bourbon Street Beat. Bourbon Street Beat. Bourbon Street Beat. Starring Richard Long. In New Orleans, Andrew Duggan. This is the blues. With Arlene Howell and Van Williams. Produced by Warner Brothers. Wagon Show, episode 36 of Bourbon Street Beat, aired June 13th, 1960. Directed by Robert B. Sinclair. Teleplay by W. Hermanos. Story by Hugh Benson. Uh, this is a Cal and Kenny episode. Uh, Cal is hired by uh, folks from Napoleon Gunther's Little Big Top, a traveling wagon show carnival type thing. And he's visited by uh, one of the gentlemen who's sort of in charge. Uh, smaller, uh, shorter gentleman uh, who has a monkey on his back. Literally, there's a little monkey um, crawling around his back and neck and everything. And an acrobat lady who... Uh, who um, Cal likes the looks of and uh, there's a chimp named Darwin who has, someone is letting loose and the chimp is attacking people and it may be loose and crazy and da 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 and they just want sort of him to investigate the chimp and find the chimp and, uh, and bring it home and no publicity minimum amount of publicity the trainer of the chimp is out there too trying to find what's going on and it's, it's sort of a carnival led story and uh, uh cal goes to the carnival and meets a whole bunch of people there and gets involved with all their their them stories and everything and kenny helps out and and i don't want to go too crazy in depth into it here uh, but but it's basically yeah, it's a carnival story and there's a chimp who may or may not be running around hurting people and there's a very interesting clown and i'll kind of leave it at that before I cut to Mitchell and myself uh, chatting about it, I realized that this is the last recording we did. This is this episode is going out in May of 2020, and during the stay at home, where I am at least, and where I believe Mitchell is uh, also. But this recording that you're going to hear with Mitchell and myself was recorded a month or so before that. So there's kind of a fun lightness to it, maybe even a little little before that even. But there's a fun. Uh, 
fun to it that I, I quite like. Not that like when we're going to talk about 37, 38, and 39, it's going to be a dour, depressing journey. But just that occurred to me as I was about to, um, uh, as I was listening to this, I was about to post it, that this is kind of from a different time almost now. So please listen to this and enjoy this. And uh, I'll give you a blast. And yeah, Michelle and I will be on the other side. Bourbon Street Drinks. Wagon Show, episode 36. Oh my gosh, we've only got three episodes left after this. Wow. This is, this is, yeah, yeah, this is a carny related episode. And if you know me, and maybe you don't, maybe you should get to know me. Get to, get to know Dan, the new podcast from Dan Budnick, not the award winning photographer, the jackass who's talking to you right now. Um, the, it's, uh, what, what was I saying? Oh, so, so, um, so yeah, I love Carney stuff. Um, and, um, I, I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'd like to talk about this episode cause I didn't think something like this would come up in a, I, I don't know why W Hermanos is oh, okay. Ma- Ma- Mitchell, are you standing by? I am right here. Sir. How, how you doing, sir? We've got <laughs> him on a coast to coast hookup. <laughs> I am great. How about you? I'm doing okay. I forgive me the the um the carnival stuff. I've always loved um carnival stuff. Um from a very young age when I was scared by a bunch of clowns at a circus and um I've always loved uh carnival uh movies, uh carnival stuff. Uh about 6 months ago I saw Freaks on the big screen, which I'd never seen before. Well, not on the big screen. I'd seen it before, but which was incredible. And like 10 years ago I saw She Freak which is David F. Uh, David Friedman's remake of of Freaks, which is not as good as Freaks, because it's really about showing people putting up carnival rides and taking down carnival rides and acting like carnival people, act, doing carny stuff. So it's not really very freakish, um, but I love it. You set something in a carnival, um, I'm there. And, oh, I'll tell my, I, I think I've told this story before, um, uh, but I'll tell, remind me, Mitchell, to tell if, if I, have you heard my Tilt-A-Whirl story? Mm, I don't think I have. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell this, uh, I'll tell it at the end. I think I've told it before, probably on something, but I'm going to tell it again here because I don't think it was on this podcast. But, um, so we got Wagon Show, which... Um, this being 1960, I I keep wanting to call it wagon train. It ain't wagon train. Although maybe I mean I guess they probably traveled on um, uh, they might have traveled in a train possibly. Um, uh, but but Mitchell, what did you think of wagon show? Well, um, it's it's interesting. It's a Cal episode, and but it does have uh, Kenny involved in it as well, which is again good. We, it's the mature Kenny again. So, you know, I found that the 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 reason that Cal gets involved in this is to find a. Uh, a chimp that's on the loose from the uh, circus. And first of all, I shared Cal's skepticism that this was really a job for a uh, private investigator. <laughs> yes, yes. And so um, this is, this is not intended 
and it is a criticism of the episode to say that this is a lame introduction to the episode because Cal himself thinks it's kind of lame. But, okay, you know, it's, it, you got to pay the bills. So uh, Cal is off on this episode, and uh, it it in, brings in the circus, which is about as colorful a um, setting as you can have in yes. uh, television. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> you've got, you've got all kinds of characters and you have, you have love affairs and rivalries and hatred, all of this just seething below the surface. So it's an ideal setting for something like this. And it's a small circus, probably a one ring circus. So that makes it even better because it's more compact and you have an easier time keeping track of who is who. Now, it won't, I think, come as a surprise to people to find out that there is a murder involved in this, although that isn't how it starts out. But most of these episodes do tend to pivot around a murder, so I don't think you're going to be surprised about that, nor would you be surprised to find that the a chimp is the prime suspect in the murder. So now Cal is off on another kind of police detective type of search because in a, he was he was hired to find the chimp the chimp's now on the lamb I, mean, I know I'm mixing my animals there but he's not literally on a lamb <laughs> he's swinging from trees but um, there we get this is where we get the introduction to the suspense well is it really the chimp Who's doing the killing? If so, who's training the chimp to be a killer, or is he just a natural-born killer? Then you, oh. you you get the introduction of the chimp's former owner, who is um, Mr. Talbot. Yes, and and um, he is he uh, behind this somehow does he have some nefarious designs on getting his chimp back and is he willing to sabotage the circus in order to do it uh and by the way the uh i was rapidly convinced that mr talbot was not guilty because he's played by horace mcmahon who plays uh mike parker in naked city which is one of my favorite cop shows of all time and uh, he is a fantastic character in that so you can't convince me the detective mike <laughs> the detective lieutenant mike parker is yes. not a killer anyway uh, but the, you you do get you do get um a fair amount of suspense in this setup because you you can suspect who the um the uh, who's really behind it all. And if you give it enough thought, you will probably be correct in that speculation. But it's still, it is uh, fun to get there, and it's fun to see another Cal episode where you find out um, how women just seem to kind of gravitate toward him. And um, you are really impressed with how, how tall Andrew uh, Duggan is, because he's hired by Walter Burke. Well, you'd recognize that this is his second appearance in, uh, in in Bourbon Street Beat, but he's been in everything, and oftentimes he plays a leprechaun because he's a very short man. And so to see him standing next to um, Andrew Duggan, is a, it is a great sight. Um, 
but also, and I won't, I won't spoil this unless we decide to go down this road. But I don't think, I don't think I would want to. You see, Cal with some amazing talent that you would not have expected him to have. How's that for mysterious? Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. That's um. Yeah. Let's not spoil that. No. I, um, I think it's no. a. It, I, I think uh. <laughs> when one reason we won't spoil it is because nobody else knows it in the show either. It is. It comes yes. as a surprise in the show, so I think it yes. should be a surprise for the viewers. Exactly. Yes. I like. I said. I um. I uh. I am a big fan of anything set like a carnival slash circus kind of thing. Um. Uh, this is um, and, and the moment it's like there's a crazy chimp out there killing people. You know, just he <laughs> might kill someone. It's like I'm in. I'm in all the way. You don't. You you don't actually have to do anything now. You can just hang out at the circus, and I can just watch people doing stuff and and things like that. And it's always like, <clears throat> like when uh, Anna, the uh, the main trapeze gal we see, shows up, and she's gorgeous. And 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 I I think um, Cal would agree with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I uh, would. And, yeah. Well, there you go. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's going to be. I I forgive me, folks. I'm a leg man. So so you know when you see the trapeze gals, you're going to have a nice time. So so it's like, <laughs> oh, you know. So there are extras. There are extras in the episode. Okay, Dan, stop perving around and talk about the episode. I. I think it's quite good. I think um, uh, I, 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 you kind of kind of mentioned there, and I'm not going to go any further into it. If you think about it, you can figure out. I think what's happening in in there. You you might not get the full um, uh, like um, why did it happen, but I think you can sort of get what's happening if you kind of dwell on it. And I would add to that that although I would never put Bourbon Street Beat in the same category with Columbo, I would say that if you do think you know who did it, you're going to enjoy the process by which the yes. uh, the, the the done it is discovered. Yes. And <clears throat> and we won't go go too deep into that, but the the sort of final sequence is a really nicely done no i won't i won't say more <laughs> sorry i was i was going to try i was going to try to get to the end of the sentence without spoiling anything it is a really nicely done let's just uh, it's <laughs> it's really that. nicely done you know it's like one of the things about Columbos is when what what do i i forget what i call them they're like the oh yes mm-hmm. like the, those like not all the colombo episodes have those some of those some of the episodes he tricks them into giving themselves away and that's fine you know, I, I don't denigrate a 90-minute episode of television for the last minute being like, oh, I wish he'd done something else. But the best Columbos are the ones where he, like, he sits them down and says, this is how you did it, and I'm going to show you how, or something like that. I always do use the um the one with uh, Robert Culp and the... um. Uh, uh, the where he's the sporting the the sports guy. Yes, the uh, and the, he kills the guy yes. with the icicle. And he kills um, is it Dean Stockwell? Uh, who who is it? I forget. Yeah, who I think he kills. you're right. Uh, again, I'm you know I could be completely off base on yeah, this, but and, going from memory. Yes, and, and so so there's like something where like a call was recorded, and it was one of those things where like there's a sound that should be there or shouldn't be there. And like Columbo comes in at the, at the very end as Robert Culp is sitting in the booth 
by himself watching this football game and he, he like begins to play this call and you sit there for like a minute a minute and a half in the same state as Robert Culp is in like what is he doing what's going on what did he find and then when he finds it you're like oh you slap your head like you should have had a V8 you fall back into the pool and you're like oh wow that was good and so that's this isn't quite that but this is fun like that so this is the same sort of um area uh and it's it's like like i said don't um do what i did the first time i watched it don't think too much just watch it (laughs) watch it and enjoy it watch it and enjoy it because it's the carnival is fun the carnival people are fun you know and like you said there's all the the sort of bitching back and forth and there's the fun wardrobe mistress played by an actress who i know from everything but i can't remember right now i want to yes i want to say she was in a get smart that i really loved but i i I could be wrong she's in something that i really love she's in probably 12 things that i really she's in a lot of things and i'll have her name uh, for you in a minute here because kathleen (laughs) freeman Oh yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, uh, and it's it's um, yeah, it's it's a really fun episode, and and part of the joy of it too is that he goes to uh, um, uh, uh, Cal goes to the the circus car- carnival, uh, but it spills over into the detective agency, which is kind of fun because you expect it to be. Maybe not quite, but but maybe like jungle, but well, like the past few episodes, you expect it to be him going out, and the detective agency is like it's like forgive me, like in Doctor Who, it's like the TARDIS, it's the safe place, you know. N- n- rarely does anything get in there, but when there's a scene, yeah, where 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 Cal goes back to um, the office and Talbot, is it Talbot? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and the chimp are there. And it's like, what? Wait, what? Hello. Yeah, and so they they kind of broach. No, that's not the word. Breach? Breach? The, the space. Um, like, like, what are you doing in here? You know, this is like, this is our home. You know, this is not, well, I don't know if it's his home. Um, I think it's Rex's. maybe Rex's yeah, home. Yeah, I think so. Up, up the staircase. I don't know where Cal lives. Where does Cal live? Um, uh, but I, I, I like that because it's sort of... Um, uh, it's I, I think that makes it kind of um, in my mind um, almost slightly and, and, I, and I hate I hate to say this after the last two but almost more of a not not big but slightly more important that someone actually went onto their home turf mm-hmm. and said hey you know and when you see Mr. Talbot I agree with you I, I haven't seen much Naked City I should see more of it um, but I, I, I agree with you. I see him and I think, yeah, you're you're not. It's someone else. Mm-hmm. Something else is happening here. Yeah. But he's good enough that he does give you a moment or two to pause when you're not yes. sure. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the one thing about this this episode that um, and. Remembering that this was an episode that you would have watched in May of 1960. Yep. Was, is it, May, May June. Yeah. May June. May June. There. Yep. Uh, so, so your TV would have probably been compared to what we have now. And I'm not saying like, like this. I'm not to denigrate, but kind of garbage looking compared to what we would have now. And because I'm watching this on a really nice TV, and it's a really nice print. 
and but I think I think the TVs in 1960 didn't they take like oh uh, well I don't know Mitch I don't uh, I um I think they took ages to warm up and, and yes begin. and, and yes. of course the corners were rounded so there were yes. there's a lot that that wouldn't have been in the original shot yes yeah and so and so you you're seeing stuff that that doesn't have um I my, it's weird my, my sort of history of television is more from uh, as far as um, technology goes, is more from British television due to Doctor Who. But I know, like in 1960, like British, te- if you put on your TV, it was a tiny screen and it looked like crap, yep. and you had to turn off all the lights in the room to just see it properly. And if you put it on one channel and you had it on, you kept it there um, because you know. So I don't know that this was the way U.S. Te- I I would imagine our technology was a thousand times more advanced. That's the United States of America, but I don't know that for certain. Um, but 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 there's a thing like with the with the chimp. Whenever you see the chimp, um, I, all I thought of was a I think in 1954. I could be wrong. Film called Gorilla, Gorilla at, at Large. large. Yeah. Oh, did you take a note of that? Please talk about Gorilla at Large, please. Well, I I, I only uh, all I, I can really say about it with any certitude is that. Uh, that uh, Raymond Burr is in it in his pre-Perry Mason days, yes. and there was a wonderful commercial for it. Uh, it's it's a 3D movie, yes. and um, back in the early 80s, I believe it was here in oh, yes. Minneapolis, one of the stations, Channel Nine, was showing it in 3D. You yes. go down and get the glasses and everything, and for the commercial, they had. A, bu- a group of wrestlers from the American Wrestling Association. So you, the, the, back when there were several wrestling organizations in the country, and um, so they were. These were the biggest names in wrestling in the the Midwest, and uh, so they were all recognizable. And they're all watching, sitting on a couch, watching the movie, and then the gorilla attacks and you get the 3d effect and all three of them re just jump back as if uh the gorilla is coming for them these grown men just scared to death and one of them who uh was uh for any of you wrestling fans out there his name was baron von raschke and he was known as the claw master that was his submission hold was that he would grab your face with his huge hands and squeeze it <laughs> like a claw and uh, leading to victory by submission. And so when the gorilla comes out like this, he automatically goes into his claw gesture <laughs> to, to ward off this attack from this gorilla. And uh, it's, it, I, I think the commercial is on YouTube if you were to Google gorilla at large, uh, KMSP Minneapolis, something like that. But, um, it is um well i i would say other than than king kong and planet of the apes wouldn't you say this is probably in the pantheon of great gorilla movies <laughs> yes i mean uh, do we count robot monster i don't know if we include that um, um with an asterisk yes 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 so i would include <laughs> the the thing with gorilla large is i remember that 3d showing because they did that in Rochester, where I grew up, yeah. and because like uh, like six months or a year later, or maybe before, they did Revenge of the Creature, also Ooh. the second uh, uh, Black Lagoon creature from Black Lagoon film. Um, 
Uh, but the thing, uh, the thing with Gorilla at Large, and part of this is going to be me quoting a reviewer, semi-quoting a reviewer that I don't remember uh, who said this, but about 10 years ago at the Egyptian Theater in, in Los Angeles, um, they, they did a 3D festival. And I went to a, uh, a day where they showed a 3D. They showed Robot Monster, Catwoman on the Moon, oh. and Gorilla Large. And I sat there in like the third row with my glasses, and my wife joined me for Robot Monster. And the thing with Gorilla Large is it's a pretty good 3D movie. It's Anne Bancroft is in it too. Wow. Good. And, and the thing about it is that and and this is why I'm bringing. You're saying, Dan. Hey, why why where you where did you guys go? Weren't you talking about a chimp in Bourbon Street Beat? Yes, because the chimp in Bourbon Street Beat, um, in Gorilla at Large. So this is what the reviewer kind of said. The tricky thing about Gorilla at Large is that Gorilla at Large has a gorilla in it, and the gorilla get loo- gets loose, and the gorilla starts to kill people. But it turns out that the gorilla that kills people is actually a guy in a gorilla suit. But the problem is the gorilla <laughs> is a guy in a gorilla suit. So it's very tough to tell what the heck is going on, who is who. And seeing it in 3D, and that's right. The guy, the gorilla is a guy in a gorilla suit, and the guy in the gorilla suit is a guy in the gorilla suit. And they're both and you're like, what? And that's the way the chimp thing is here. Mm-hmm. There's an actual chimp which is a guy in a chimp suit. But then, pardon me, there is a fake chimp. The chimp didn't. You know the chimp yes. didn't do it, guys. You know the chimp didn't do it, guys and gals. Guys and gals and midnight pals, you know the chimp didn't do it. And so the ch- so you get the <laughs> chimp, which is a guy in a chimp suit, but a chimp. And then you get a guy in a chimp suit pretending to be a chimp. And that always reminds me of Gorilla at Large because it was like, and it's true, seeing it on the big screen, I was like, and people were like, wait a minute, is that the gorilla or the guy in the gorilla suit? Because it's both guys in gorilla suits and it's, oh, hell. <laughs> but it's a fun movie. It's a fun movie regardless. So, so um, what, what, what else do you have about this one? Um, the, no, no monkeying around here. I will. Uh... Uh, knock it off. Knock it, don't go bananas. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a, um, another really nice continuity uh, situation in here because you'll recall last in our last episode, uh, Kenny had graduated. Uh, in our last episode. Yes, <laughs> Kenny had graduated. And um, in this episode, he's doing some uh, post-grad work. So yes. um, he is um, still hitting the books. He's still a student doing doing some some work there. Uh, but it's it's just it's a, it's a nice continuation because and it also means that these two episodes had to be aired in the order in which they were aired, or else Definitely. you would have had uh, something that made no sense at all. Great confusion. And um and and whoever the um whoever the lovely young secretary was a couple of episodes ago who was uh, filling in at the front desk must not have worked out because Kenny's back at the front desk again. 
uh, in these last two episodes. In fact, I think that the uh, in in our um, uh, ferry to Algiers, I think the reason he got the case in the first place was because he happened to be the one he was at, the, yes. at the front desk. So he's still there at the front desk, but he is still the mature Kenny. Still got the uh, the coat, the tie. Um, he's a different Kenny than the one who was minding the desk in the beginning of the uh, of of the series. I, th- I there there's a there's a scene where um uh uh Cal gets knocked out in the office and, and Kenny's there to help him out and when the two of them are discussing sort of the case uh there there isn't sort of the earlier in the season sort of um not not uh no it was never a patronizing sort of thing but sort of like oh, okay Kenny yeah I'm uh w- this happened and and this happened and what do you th- you know uh, and, and Kenny would be like, "Well, how how about this, Cal? What's going on?" You know. Uh, but but when the two of them are talking together, it it really looks like two uh, professionals. Yeah, Cal treats him as this a peer. Yes, and and when and it's great because when Cal actually stands up after you know having been knocked out, like Kenny like like puts his hand like on on the, like Cal's back. Like just for a moment, mm-hmm. like just to sort of like not not guide him along, but maybe guide him along, but but sort of like okay, my friend, you know. Yes, yes, it's go, it go it yeah. it is, if you will, a liberty that a kid would not um, take with yes. an adult. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, you you wouldn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you wouldn't have done that. It'd be like yeah, I I, I think we we've been together for thirty six hours now. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Come hey, on. that'd be a you great know, title for a movie. Thirty-six hours. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was to say with Dave Nolte and Steve Murphy. Oh, I see that one. That would be awesome. That's like the the asylum would make that. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, no, I, I um I. Uh, I, we're, we're, I don't. Th- I don't think we'll spoil this one. No. So, so we'll knock off before um, before the ending. But um, it's set Carnival Circus, uh, so I love it. And uh, they, like you said, it's so nice that that Kenny is. There, there must have been someone at the helm of this that 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 saw that the um, uh, uh, advancement or. Um, uh, evolve, evolve, evolvement, evolving. Evolution. Kenny, Kenny, Kenny evolution. Speaking of that's gorillas, yeah. yes, that's the word I was looking for. Uh, the evolution of Kenny's character, and um, yeah, and when they, I, I would just say, when they show up at the circus, and oh heck, I don't have my remote here, just because I have it playing right here, and they show up at the circus right before. The, oh, I got the hiccups there for a second. Sorry, everyone. Um, uh, they show up at the circus uh, carnival right at the end there, as they're doing like a, a run through of everything, and um, several people have died, apparently chimp related, and and yeah, Cal and Kenny show up, and it's like it's like it's great because Cal kind of shows up, is talking to the the guy in charge, Mr. Napoleon, and Kenny kind of puts his leg up on the uh, on the um. Uh, like the edge of the circus ring and puts his hand on the, you know, as uh, he's like, yeah, look at me. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, 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 it's really uh, that like, and there's like a two shot of them and it's, it's really good. And I mean, it's like, I would love to go back to like the first or second episode and just uh, maybe the second, because I know the first episode was, was a lot of 
I'd love to go back and just just watch Kenny again because um, they're they're <laughs> they're so comfortable and they work so well together now. Yes, and I didn't I didn't expect that to happen in the middle of a writer strike. No, where they couldn't bring all. on an actual writer to do this. So I um, uh, is this my favorite of the W Hermanos episodes? It has a carnival and a circus in it, so I'm going to say yes. Um, uh, yeah, I'm going to say yes on this uh, so far. We have, th- I guess, the last three will be W. Hermanos as far Probably, as I know. Probably, yeah. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes. So, um, Mitchell, what else do you have? And if you don't have anything else, um, how are you? Are you okay? I'm, yeah. I, I am doing okay, yes. You know, uh, as, as we are recording this episode, I'm sitting in a city that's supposed to get six to eight inches of snow tomorrow. So uh, <laughs> I'm looking out the window right now, looking at the... Uh, How's it look? The, well, dark. <laughs> <laughs> what what is it does it look um is does it look like snow is on the way can you tell i mean well it it, it didn't look that way when i came home the uh the mm-hmm. the it was actually fairly sunny this afternoon so but oh, wow. cold but cold mm-hmm. so i think we're looking at um, below zero temperatures rising to the Ooh. high single digits tomorrow the um snow should be moving into the area sometime around noon lasting in into the night and into Saturday where winds will pick up between 30 and 40 miles an hour. Uh, no travel is advised in the outlying areas and things will be tough going in the metro. And now Steve Beeman with sports. <laughs> yeah. In the market today, the Dow Jones closed. <laughs> <laughs> here's, here's, some fun, here's some fun dog stuff we saw. Look at this dog. He's at the mall. <laughs> Isn't he great? <laughs> oh dear well, it's time to go isn't it <laughs> it's bourbon street beat is we're gonna wrap this one up i guess are you are you all done do you have do you have i don't think i have anything else no, I, 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 i'm all done you can uh i have plenty but it's all in writing so you can find me on my website at awesome. it's about tv.com where we talk about classic television and american culture every week uh but you can also find me uh through the website you can find me on facebook on youtube and on Twitter, and there is a link to my books, which include the one you'd be most interested in, the TV book, which is um, called The Electronic Mirror. It's all about uh, the past, present, and future, how we got there, and everything in between. Excellent. Last thing before we go, at the very end, the chimp uh, jumps onto Rex's lap, and (laughs) Rex says something along the lines of... um, uh, can we? I, I forget. I'm paraphrasing. It's like it's like. Um, can we hire you on as a secretary because we still need one? So <laughs> mm, there we go. So the gal from a few episodes didn't last, nope. and they still want to find someone. And Kenny is not that someone. So um, yeah, thank you so much, everyone. Uh, so we only have three episodes of this show left. I'm 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 feeling a little sadness in my heart, but um, oh no, that's gas. <laughs> Okay, let me wrap this up. All right, everyone, I'll talk to you later.
something very close now Is there a zombie just beyond me? What's at the bottom of the stairs now? What would you do with the voodoo? The haunting energy Creeping, crawling, scaring me Exorcism of the insurance From that haunting energy Invading my privacy I need some reassurance